Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. But first, a couple mea culpas. In last week's episode, we mentioned that Liberated Brands was responsible for the marketing of the brands from ABG that it had licensed. That includes, of course, Billabong, Ruka, and beyond. This is actually not the case. It turns out that ABG is still responsible for that. In fact, they're still figuring this out. But as of now, and in terms of Italo's um, departure from Billabong, those decisions all came from within the ABG board rider side. Liberated's not making those decisions yet. It's yet to be seen whether they will be in the future or not, but just to clarify that story a little bit further. Now, the second one, uh, we're a little late with this podcast. I know, they're supposed to go up on Friday. It's a little way to bookend your week and our week as well here at STAB. Um, there's just been so many things going on, though, that we had to record late, and then I, I didn't have time to edit. So anyway, it's coming up a little bit late. There are a couple things specifically relating to the Crosby Cola Pinto STAB interview, where we're referencing things going on in Sacarema that are going to feel a little outdated. Obviously, Sacarema's already ended by the time that you're listening to this. Uh, congrats to Aaron Brooks and Samuel Poupeau and everybody else who qualified. Uh, so anyway, just take it with a grain of salt. Sorry we're late, but we do, I promise, have a really, really good week for you. In fact, it was hard to choose the five topics for this week because there were just so many that happened. So sorry for all the rambling. Let's bring Buck in. Let's drop it. Mikey, you were stung by a man of war. How how intimidating is that name? I would say that it's absolutely, it's it has earned the respect of that name because when this thing hit me, I've been actually I've been hit with a man of war before, but I forgot. It's been so long. I forgot. Like most jellyfishes, you get hit, and it's like a I don't know. It's like a weird, gooey feeling, and then you just like feel the the stinginess, right? With these ones, it's like an electric shock. Like I don't know what sort of toxins. I don't know that the you know the chemicals and whatever behind it, but it seriously hits you, and it feels like you got struck by a little bolt of lightning. Um, so that was my first experience back surfing after three weeks out of the water with my nose. Wait, that was session one. That was session one, like on my first paddle out. hadn't even caught a wave yet. It was like it was like my last duck dive um, before I got out to the lineup. Are they common there? I wouldn't say common. Um, I don't see them often. Normally, like in places where they're common, you'll see them like washed up on the beach. I've never seen that, but they definitely. Ha- I actually, I got a message from Ashton, who said that when he was 14 years old, he came down to Costa Rica and it was his first time ever surfing in the Pacific Ocean, and he paddled out and in his first paddle out as well, he got a Portuguese man o' war to the face, and so that was his introduction to the Pacific Ocean. I have always, whenever there's jellyfish around, that is always my biggest fear. Like, I am always afraid of just, like, you're not going to see it or something's going to happen while you're duck diving and it's in the face. Like, because I had an experience down there. It wasn't in Costa Rica. It was in El Salvador where I think it was them. I think it was those men of war. But um, it was just you could not go more than maybe 30 seconds without feeling one. The waves were pumping and there's nobody out. So we pulled up and we're like, what the fuck? And then we tried surfing and it was like. You can't you cannot like i think i have a photo of me where the whole side like i just it was tropical so like i wasn't wearing a shirt or anything and my whole side like i was probably hit like five or eight times um in like a 20 minute span before we're just like oh my god we're gonna like get really hurt if we stay out and then by the next day they're gone it was just like this one afternoon but i've never had an experience like that ever before and i have maced myself as everybody knows now but (laughs) this was this was similar pain to to macing yourself in the face yeah, well, 
I will say I've, I've surfed now a couple times since I've been back. I don't think my surfing has improved since I got this nose surgery. Unfortunately, I haven't seen those benefits we were talking about. But um, if you've been on my Instagram, you do know that I have seen some other improvements that have like really just showing crazy amounts of growth in other parts of my life. So um, you can go check that out if you'd like to just have a real sense of what septoplasty can do for you. Oh, whoa. What the fuck is this? This is a real person? Yeah, it's it's all natural. This is just like three weeks of nasal breathing. I, I can't. I can't. That's not you. That's not a face swap app. Oh my god. That is, wow, that is the most compelling thing I've watched in some period of time. I, I'm getting the surgery. I can breathe out my nose. I'm going to fucking get it now. All right, let's get surgery, but first let's get to the news, Mikey. S-U-R-F, episode one, is here. We have got Ozzy, we've got Crookie, we've got Jelly, and we've got Vinny. And as always, they're brought together by your boy Danny, and they are S-U-R-F-ing. Wait, well, everybody's actually, name ends with Y, or the sound of Y. It's a very Australian thing. Well, they went gel, but they, they touched, they would flip between Jelly just to keep it consistent and a little bit of gel for uh, Jaleesa. True. So I lied a little bit. They are not S-U-R-F-ing this episode. They are S-ing, which is spending, which is exploring the concept of paying for a wave. This is, this has been an expression that is used for quite some time, let's say decades. And I've never seen it put to the test. Well, when you, when you're S-ing, you put it to the test. So each of them were given 200 Australian dollars and a case of beer from our friends at Byron Bay Brewery. Alliteration, a good thing, just ask my name. I think that that actually equals to the same dollar value in US dollars if you add up the Australian $200 and then the case of beer. Because like 200 Australian dollars is like 80 US dollars. And then a case of beer in Australia is like also $200. So together it's... It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And so they, this was their the power that they went out with to the pass to go see if they could buy some waves. And I think my favorite part about this, and first of all, it's free. It's on our YouTube, so anybody could watch it, even you who feels guilty right now hearing it going, oh, I don't have the things that they're about to talk about, all the news that they shared that they give me all the good stuff anyway on here, and I'm not going to subscribe. I'm on to you. But anyway, it's YouTube, so it's free. You got it. And... I like how they're exposed to this concept early on. Like you could, you could tell they ran them through some ideas, and everybody hates this one. They're like, "No, we don't want to do that. Like, please don't. We don't want to go have to like actually. It's a funny concept, but to actually go out and at a wave that you might surf pretty regularly, probably see some people that you know, just be trying to just with a little purse of money trying to buy waves." Uh, and then when they actually go out and do it, it's fucking hilarious. So, Mikey, what were your thoughts? Would you let somebody buy a wave off you? Yeah, 100%, especially out there. It looks like just the softest. I mean, it looks fun, but it's certainly I would take $40 for a wave out there, maybe even $20 for a wave out there. Um, and, yeah, it's, it was really interesting because, like, at the start, like you said, they were so uncomfortable. Like, for such a wealthy area, Byron Bay people seem really uncomfortable talking about money. I guess it goes to the sort of culture there, which is – anti-capitalist which danny johnson 
puts together one of the greatest analogies that I've ever seen in a piece of surf media in this that I'm not even going to butcher it on the podcast. You just have to watch it to understand. There's a good frame in that too. There's just a good, if you screenshot one thing and took it out of context, you could probably uh, have some fun <laughs> with it, folks. Um, and yeah, to me, this whole thing, the first, like, obviously people have always said like, oh yeah, like what would you pay for a wave? Wave pools kind of made that a little bit real, but where this was first really introduced to me in the ocean was in that Surf 100 North Point that we did when mm. Jack Robinson offered Ollie Henry $300 for the wave of the day. Ollie turned it down, and I think the relative value of that wave was certainly more than $300. Like, it's, it's all relative, right? Like, like I said, these waves out at um, the Pass in Byron Bay, they look fun. But if it's, you know, the difference between me eating a free lunch and getting that specific wave that's going to run down the point and I can probably get the next one, yeah, I'm taking $20. I guess you're right. I did say before that it's a concept that's been around for a while and I haven't really seen it executed. I have seen it attempted, I guess. So I, I guess I still didn't see it executed. It was, uh, it was attempted. There were attempts made, but this one actually works out. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I've heard of situations where people... They, there's this it's not super popular but there's like a on the island of Oahu which is like in the middle of the Pacific there's like especially on like the more northern facing coast doesn't face perfectly north but um, there's like a really good slab um, and I've heard of people try to not really pay for a specific wave there but maybe have something kind of block for them or like kind of you can paddle and then if you're paddling and everybody else backs off. The other person knows it's like an unspoken payment for a wave. You know, you've heard of these arrangements. I don't want to call any names out here because, um, I don't think it's something that, uh, yeah, it just doesn't feel right. But you've heard of that arrangement, right? No. Elaborate. Really? No. You haven't heard of somebody getting paid to block for something at pipeline. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have. Um, yeah. but it's also like, isn't that more of like, uh, more often than not, isn't that kind of like a, prearranged like coach like it's now framed as a coach right it's not a blocker because a blocker has a bad <laughs> connotation now they're just coaches well i could just never see myself like i think theoretically if you asked me before i'd be like I, you could do the math you know you'd be like okay yeah i don't know the wave's gonna last eight nine seconds and might be pretty good but yeah if you're gonna give me a decent amount of money sure take it but in the moment, I don't think you could ever, you know, you'd almost get like paralyzed by trying to have that computation. Be like, what? Like, you're going to pay me? Like, okay. It is a very split second thing. Like watching them do it in this video, like you could see people like actually thinking while they're like in that position, like about to stand up or not. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. But I yeah. think my biggest takeaway from this is um, Ari Brown, his ability to disassociate. Because going into this, he was so against it, like he was so off it, and then he just literally transformed into Sven. And I mean, you have to watch it again to understand. I really recommend that you do because it's really fun. Um, technically, the winner of this particular episode won't be announced until they have their screening party at Byron Bay Bolo on the 27th of October. You can see the site post for details, but I think we know who won episode one. Yeah, I mean, hopefully Sven goes there. It's. It must have been. I think he was a little bit not happy with the idea of like two hunch can get you some. You know, you get into the Bergheim with that. You're you're in good shape. So I think Sven was a little bit mad that uh, he couldn't get kinkier with that money. Maybe in the Berlin, but uh, go watch it. It's great. It's a free for all. There's more coming. We have because, like I said, we have 
this is just S, baby. We got U, R, and F coming for you. So these will, again, be funny, pleasant, just great ideas to explore. And uh, every week they're coming. So Next week is U standing for undersize, and we will let you decide what that may or may not mean. What does it cost to be a pro surfer? Depends how many waves you pay for. Yeah, it depends. If it can get really expensive if you're at the pass, it seems like. Um, <laughs> which I guess all those longboard influencers need to have pretty hefty contracts to afford it. <laughs> anyway, uh, the real answer to that question, which is pretty wild because the term pro surfer is such a broad term, I would define it as somebody who is receiving a salary to surf even if that salary might not even equate to like the monthly minimum wage like if you work just like a full-time job monthly what the what the what your pull would be there but i would still say if you're getting salary you're you can call yourself a pro surfer um i think we really get into some slippery territory too with like challenger series stuff because there's a lot of people that like kind of aren't sponsored so like on that front they're not really you know but at the same time they're at the second highest level that our sport offers. So short answer here, Mikey, 30, 30 grand a year to 600 K a year. So we are talking, we're talking about a broad thing, aren't we? Yeah. It's uh well, this, to be fair, the 600 K is probably a bit of an outlier, but it does happen to be one of the numbers that came up when we interviewed the people for this piece. So those people include Mason Ho, Anastasia Ashley, Eitan Osborne, Nick Von Rupp, Luca Messinas, Leilani McGonigal, and Kanoe Igarashi, who happens to be the person who spends $600,000 per year on his surf career. That includes four full-time employees, uh, his two parents, and a friend who is a filmer and another friend who is a manager, plus all the travel, plus all the, you know, it's just all these things add up. And he also lives a, a lifestyle that goes beyond surfing, you could say. Like, he's doing so many things in other parts of, like, culture and obviously the whole Japan connection that it's hard to really say what is exactly a surf expense and what is not but it's all part of his career so i think that's how he kind of framed it up but the idea was to talk to people in different niches of professional surfing so we obviously talked to competitors at the highest level ct down to the cs and the qs then we talked to free surfers people who get paid to just you know be in films and produce their own content um we talked to a big wave surfer we talked to somebody's more on the influencer side of free surfing and so on and so forth and we got some we got some numbers here we got some great numbers i want to call it two that suck out to me because like i said there are those you know i know some of you are out there just lurking you're not premium you're getting all the data here you think so i'm gonna call it two i'm not gonna call everybody liam o'brien i think is the most level-headed person he's like the new i'd even say maybe better ace um he's yeah sorry i love ace but you need at least one smart guy on tour or around tour and liam is i think filling that void now and he said that doing the ct cost him roughly 5100 per event so 10 events about 50k a year that's like the number that i think okay he just seems like the most like he's not He's doing it smart, right? Like, he he's a smart guy. And so that felt like the most comfortable, like, middle-of-the-pack number for me. Like, you're not just trying to, like, 
you know, really cut costs at all levels and you're also being like, okay, this might not last forever and I'm not going to overspend. So like that was interesting. I was really interested to learn that just because it coming from him meant a lot to me. That makes sense to you? A hundred percent. And that's, again, when you say he's doing it smart, that means he is staying with other competitors. He's, you know, he's sharing houses. I'm sure they're splitting groceries. Uh, He, I'm sure they split a coach as well, which the coaching thing gets interesting because, you know, they say the more money you make, the more money you spend. And in surfing, that's 100% true. Most coaches work on some sort of commission. So the better you're doing in events, the more you're getting paid and the more you're paying out. Um, so there's a few, th- there's a lot of things to consider when you think about how much somebody spends on their career. Um, and this piece gets into it really in depth. Um, like I said, we talked to a lot of people who are in different parts of the surfing world. And one of the biggest things that stood out to me, um, it was from Nick Von Rupp, who obviously is more on the free surfer slash influencer slash big wage surfer side of things. And uh, here's what Nick said. Honestly, it has never been so hard to get an endemic backing, and at the same time, it has never been so expensive to be a pro surfer. Brands have never expected so much from surfers. Having a social media presence, winning contests, creating content, chasing swells, all that adds up big time. Back in the day, it was just show up and blow up. Everything was taken care of. Trips, filmers, and media creation. You didn't need to worry about anything. Your sponsorship budget was a salary straight to your pocket. These days, your sponsorship budget is a budget to pay your people, team, and salary. So it's really interesting. It's like every dollar that comes in, you need to figure out the most efficient way to spend it so that you can continue to get dollars. It's like, it's you're, basically, it's just a rat race to nowhere. Yeah, and I mean, Nick is also... A smart person and he has that perspective that you just laid out of of seeing how it used to work which is like yeah you just go and then they do everything else like they you don't have to like look after the edit they're just like hey the edits going live next tuesday like share the teaser you know you're not building the teaser building the edit building everything having all the communications so it is super interesting and he's also that was the other person i want to call out because he is one of those free surfers that is busy like he gets around and as he calls out in this as well nazare is expensive like just like serving big waves anywhere is expensive like to hire a proper team to do that from safety to people filming to nazare spotting like that costs you that what do you say like five grand a day yeah it, it can be i think he said um somewhere like 50 to 80 grand for the season which is unbelievable yeah i mean it's 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 a lot of money and so I was really interested in that because, yeah, he does that, and he also will travel when it's not the main season here. And so he's – I found it interesting that he said – it was such a specific number. He said that he spends 109 – we had to convert some things to make the math right just to keep it consistent. But he said he spends 109K a year, and that's also the exact amount of YouTube subscribers he has. So I almost like – I thought there was something interesting. Like he's spending a grand for every YouTube subscriber he has that's there's something in that to me obviously his career goes beyond youtube like he's not just a youtube influencer like he's also a insanely talented surfer who gets crazy good waves around the world that go in places other than youtube but i bet there's something in that though because like when you think about the other biggest youtubes in surfing like jamie o'brien i think has close to a million subs i bet he spends close to a million dollars a year on creating that content like he's got like a full team at his house, you know what I mean? Just producing stuff um, all the time. He's obviously traveling all the time. You look at Nate Florence, I think he's in that like $400,000 range. 
I don't know if he's spending quite that much to get around, but he's traveling so much, paying for filmer. Everything is like strike mission style. You know, when he goes out on those trips, he's gone for like three months at a time, getting the most expensive flights, you know, getting last second um, accommodation. Like it all, it adds up. And as a result, you see their following is just pretty massive. So if you're able to monetize that, then you're actually in a good spot. Did we just crack the YouTube code? Did we just figure it out <laughs> on the program live? Maybe. Well, thanks, Nick. Anyway, there's a lot of great info in here. I, I recommend you go give it a read if you haven't already. It breaks down kind of the cost range for each different group, you know, CT surfers, QSCS surfers, free surfers, influencer, big wave surfers, etc. Obviously, we can't talk to every surfer in, in the world <laughs> to figure out their expenses, but I think this paints a pretty good picture of the spectrums that are involved. Is 2% the new Brazilian storm? You know they name storms now? Like we just get hit with like a like a low pressure system here. And I think they had a name. I didn't I don't pay attention. I don't like it. I don't like when they name the storms. No, it's gross. But I do like the name the Brazilian storm. I like that they gave it this title. I like the name two percent. And it really does <laughs> I know it wasn't um created in this way but it really does make you think about very white milk yeah it does it does i mean the whole process of pasteurization it's something else so <laughs> but it's working strong bones over there in san clemente dance dude dance <laughs> i mean so this is an interview this is the stab interview with crosby colapinto who just qualified for the ct he's one of four two percenters who've made it this year including cole hausman Eli Hanneman, Sawyer Lindblad, and it looks like Cade Matson is likely to make the jump as well. Sakurama, the event that never ends, uh, seems like it will conclude tomorrow. I think it has to. I think it's the last day of the waiting period, actually. But it's been great. Eh, eh, eh. Say it's been great. What, what's been great about it? Everything. It's been so good. I feel like for a while there was just that system where it was Holly Event Sunset, which were part of the Triple Crown. And so as a result, there'd be all these C-tiers in it, and things are just way different. With Sakurama, with this new system now that's kind of finding, I think, or at least fans in the system are, like, finding, like, a groove of how it's working. It's like, there weren't. I know Medina did it last year, and Joao Shianko was there this year. But there's something about seeing, like, when there's still so much, like, still so much uncertainty about who can move where and what can happen, and you're actually seeing these people surf multiple heats in real time sometimes against each other it's pretty fucked up and i think knowing especially after the last story we covered like knowing that like this really is so huge for their lives like it's it's pretty wild i really was getting into it um people are getting emotional like when freddie requalified like he was emotional as fuck and he should be especially after the kind of you know, he was, he qualified for the Olympics and had to miss them. That would have meant, I think, so much for him, especially coming from like a smaller nation, a smaller surfing nation. So seeing, uh, I've been just fanning out in the CS. We are, we are primarily a Challenger Series podcast. And so we're, we're going to get back to Crosby. Don't worry. But Sakurama has been great. I've been really enjoying it. All right. Buck's been enjoying it. I've missed most of it, but I will tune in tomorrow. I know there's a lot going on. Um, Anyway, if Cade does manage to make it, that will mean that 33%, one-third of the entire qualifying class from 2023 to the 2024 CT is 2%, which is wild. And Crosby gets into that a little bit 
Um, I mean, he basically says, look, we saw the Australians doing it. We obviously saw the Brazilians doing it before them. This sense of camaraderie and really cheering for one another and staying together and doing everything together, it seems to inspire greatness. I mean, it makes sense. And also, I want to, uh, I'm just going to, because I'd have to run this by you anyway, I want to interview Troy Eckert because Griffin's talked about him. Crosby just makes it very clear that he has played a huge, huge role in his success. And so I want to talk to him because he, if these guys are saying, hey, I'm where I am because of this guy, let's learn why. But, Can you give us a little rundown of who, who Troy Eckert is? Welcome. That's it. He didn't start it, but he was he was monumental in like all every if if you've known that brand for a while, a lot of what you loved was him. Yeah. And he also happened to get the wave of the day at one of the most iconic almost Californian waves on a super swell last winter that you definitely saw on Instagram. I'm not gonna say where it was, but if you know you know. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk to Troy. I'm going to, I'm going to track him down. Ask him about that wave. I will. The camaraderie thing is great. I mean, like you said, we've seen it work. We've The Brazilian storm was built on that. And then the Australian thing, especially just, it looked like they were having so much fun. I mean, it looks like the 2% guys are having a lot of fun too, but they're more, I felt like the Australian crew and like Connor won France was just, they they seem to have a little bit more looseness and like you know they weren't really journaling, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> and so, it, it it seems to work, and I think it'll be really interesting. Crosby talks about it in the interview, but Holden asks like, "Do you think this will be harder to maintain on that CT level?" And he's like, "No, like we're this has been our program regardless. Like we do it at home. We do free surf trips together. We've been doing comp trips together. Like." I guess there will just kind of be that weirdness of like some people will still be on one tour and some will be on the other, but um, man, it's going to be pretty cool. Any predictions, Mikey? How's he going to go? I could see him doing really, really well. His surfing level is absolutely there, I would say. He also said that he feels really comfortable at all the spots and especially the spots in the first half of the CT, and I would totally agree. We've seen what he's done. He won the the digital pipe masters that one year and those two giant rights that he got he's a big kid he can definitely surf out at sunset super tubos i'm sure he would eat up we'll get into some rookie predictions once we have the full class i think but i could definitely see crosby doing i feel like there's like a bells thing like you can't be on rip crawl and like lose early at bells like that's just the thing you know so yeah yeah like something that the judges are on the payroll sort of thing yeah 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 you know you can't it's just not how it works easter weekend you can't be losing at bells with the rip girl sticker in your nose that's not how it works so one of the other things that crosby talked about that i found super interesting was what he called little brother syndrome and i think there's a couple levels to little brother syndrome on one hand your older brother is kind of perceived as your hero and you want to sort of follow in his footsteps and then on the other hand because he's your hero it's really hard to feel like you can ever be at the same level as him, you know? So it's like he even says in the piece that he wasn't even that into surfing, but Griffin used to make him surf every day. And then when he saw how well Griffin was doing, he's like, shit, I want to do that too. And then he started getting serious about surfing and started winning some U.S. championships and then, you know, junior pros and so on and so forth. Now he's made the CT. And it reminds me of a quote, which I think is from the Bruce movie. I know it's about Andy and Bruce, but it was basically Bruce saying, 
I, I couldn't believe it. When I saw Andy go and win a world title, I was like, what the fuck? Like, if he can do it, I can do it. Like, you know, like when you grow up surfing right next to somebody, maybe you're not quite at their level at that time, but you're also not that far off. And to think that your brother, somebody who came from the same two people as you, who grew up in the same house as you, who, you know, rides similar boards and whatever, like, if you see them, Griffin got so close to winning the world title this year that I could imagine that was also a huge inspiration for Crosby to do what he did. Oh, 100%. It'd be like, I feel like you, if it's an, somebody you don't really know, you just assume that they have something that you don't, or they're doing something you can't see. You're like, oh, this person is probably doing X, Y, Z, or they're just, they're different in some way. Whereas Crosby would know exactly what Griffin's doing and he's known it his entire life at least. And so, yeah, I, I think that is a very, very meaningful point. And Hey, if the little brother thing doesn't, you know, if it gets a little bit weird, all he has to do, get in the eddy. Get away from, get a big old bomb, work into the shore break, pack that thing, and then that's it. Like, that is the little, the playbook is there, is my point. That's really true. Um, and one other thing that I wanted to point out, we obviously talked a lot about 2%. And, I mean, 2% really is Kolohan Dino's brainchild. He wanted to bring the community together. He wanted to create something really special where it highlights all of the talent coming out of San Clemente. And he ironically was able to do this because he fell off the CT. And so he started off the year at the Challenger Series, the first event at Snapper Rocks, everybody that had a house together. And it sort of just kicked off this movement that has now led to probably five of them qualifying for the CT. Of course, Kolohe didn't requalify this year. Um, but we asked Crosby, how much of your success would you attribute to Kolohe Andino? And Crosby said, How he is as a role model has been one of the biggest takeaways in my life. Looking back now, seeing that he was taking me to go surf when I was 15 and he was 24 on tour, that was incredible. It filled me up so much. And then everything he's done for the community, bringing everyone together is really cool. He would put contests on when we were young too, which was amazing. I think everyone's success this year is from brother, bringing us all together and showing us what support really means. And, you know, for someone like brother who, you know, maybe didn't have the success that he would have wanted on the CT. Not to say that that ship has sailed. It hasn't. But for him to come back and have this positive of an impact on his community, I'm sure that would, in the long run, probably mean more to him as a person than a few event wins or whatever it is. Oh, that is one of the coolest things to, to see, I think. And I don't think that we are done with him on the CT. Who makes the best leashes, traction, fins, and wax in 2023? Mikey, I believe we've had this debate on here before, but guess what, buddy? I've got data for you now, and I got bad news. Sex fucking wax, I'm telling you. Okay. This foo stuff doesn't work. It's Uh no good. Okay, but you're also trying – it's like trying to say that Coke is – better than freaking some, you know, emerging brand just because more people buy Coke. It's just not necessarily the case. Like, yeah, Coke is great, but it also just has so much name brand recognition that any random person who goes into a surf shop is going to buy sex wax before they buy Foo. Like, Foo requires a level of intimacy with surfing that you just don't have. I forget what the exact number was. It was maybe 1,000, maybe 5,000, but the first one of those numbers who subscribed to Stab Premium we sent them a little box saying, hey, we really appreciate Like this is a new idea and you were one of the first people to pick it up and we'll forever be grateful. 
We sent them a hat, and we sent them a bar of foo. These people, nobody doesn't know what foo is. You can't say that. <laughs> there can't be an argument. Okay, I guess the other argument is that it is for a specialized style of surfing. What is that style of surfing? Trying to fucking rip your absolute hardest. And also, it's limited to, I will say, people in warmer climates. Because if you try to use foo wax with booties... You're going to hate your life. You're basically a, like foot straps in. Yeah. I mean, hey, there's some people, if Kyle Lenny's listening, he'll be like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> okay. But let's just say, how impressive is it? Like maybe five years ago, I would say the vast majority of people didn't know what FUWAX was or certainly had never tried it themselves. And now on this list, it is the number two ranked wax in the world above Sticky Bumps, which has been around for, I mean, like if you want to talk Coke, like Sticky Bumps has always been the Pepsi to Sex Wax's Coke, right? But now we have something that has gone and emerged. It's RC Cola has just freaking like hyperspeeded up past Pepsi and it's making a run for Coke. Yeah, it's just never going to get there. I don't know if you like, yeah, I, <laughs> I've tried. I've tried in warm water. I've tried in, I don't think I've ever actually tried with booties. I've tried. I've tried to do this. It's always awkward because it's it's pricier. And maybe it's not if you're in Brazil, but in most places it is a it's a more spendy wax, and I think people are a little bit more frugal. I have no, I have an argument there as well. Um, have you heard of Have you ever heard of girl math? It's kind of this thing that's trending on social no, media. No, the Roman Empire one I was across, but not this one. Okay, so girl math is that well, one form of girl math is that you don't base something, you don't base how expensive something is on its ticket price. You base how expensive something is versus how many times you use it divided by that price. So sex wax, you get a bar, like a top coat, say a green or a purple, and that's going to last you maybe like eight sessions. Like it goes pretty quick. The way that you utilize that, it's like you're using the edge and you're scraping about, you know, yeah, I'd say like a tenth to an eighth of a bar every single time you go. So you're renewing that thing, you know, every two weeks or so. Foo Wax, I can use the same bar for like a month. It's such a light top coat that, yeah, I'm paying a couple extra dollars for it, but I get longer use out of it. I feel like the, the financials actually favor Foo if you're using it correctly. Yeah, um, but then it just feels weird on my feet and I don't like it. So <laughs> fair enough. It's, it's, not no, it's noticeable. It's noticeable just goo under my feet. I'm like, I, that's weird. I just want to feel my surfboard. It's a caviar, bit. Buck. It requires a certain level of sophistication. Okay, okay. Well, hey, I guess this debate will just continue. There's, there's no right answer, I suppose. But shout out to the 4.72% of people who said Mrs. Palmer's. Um, <laughs> look, I have a lot of respect for pretty much anybody doing anything. I know there's always elements to everything that are unseen by those who are not doing them but uh i'll just say i'm not a palmer's guy can i can i make um just a, a guess so we also did one for the best traction pads and in that we left a category for people who prefer wax only no pad. oh yeah and that was eight percent of the total i'm gonna go ahead and guess that um half of that eight percent were the four percent of people who use mrs palmer's fucking credit to them man i, I am happy for them i really am and um, hey, if you've got it and it's working for you, good for you. I'm not. I'm not gonna throw any stones. Anyway, on traction, creatures of leisure with the we can't call it a stranglehold, but they are the leader there. Twenty one point five two percent. I think they do great stuff. I think that uh, their their innovation this year, which 
they had really good assets to show it, but was that that 3D molded pad. So instead of just like having to cut it from a sheet, just just saving so much waste that way. It's it's one thing to do that, and it's another thing to be able to tell that story in a way that people actually understand on the channels where, mm. where they'll understand them. And they did that so fucking well. I was like, I watched and it and I was like, whoa, that's Another crazy. way they saved waste was uh, these are the pads that Italo used in Stab in the Dark. And I think we had a packing mishap and we only ended up packing like nine pads for Italo's 13 boards. Uh, and I can confirm that these can be reapplied on a different board. They can be taken off one and added to another with no seeming side effects. Well, that saved the carbon cost of having to get Ethan on a plane, like we did for mixed <laughs> mixed electric acid surfboard tests. So that's a huge, yeah. that's even way more now. That's Brazil so, and Australia aren't super close. Well done to Creatures of Leisure. Um, I will say another, you know, I would say a foo equivalent in the pad game as far as being newcomers and being sort of like that kind of trendy next big thing. Octo moved into number three. You know, they haven't been around for very long, but their marketing is just so damn good. The films that they put out every year. And uh, it seems like people love the products as well. So well done to them. And that's Dekine got second. Just a sturdy, like you just can't go wrong with Dekine. Leashes, do we have to talk about that? We'll talk about the creature's patent thing, which is a story that we're working on. There's currently a, you can also innovate with leashes. People have been doing it uh, since Jack O'Neill did the whole thing. People have figured out how to make them better and better and better. And sometimes you have an idea that nobody's done yet. You can patent it. Sometimes somebody might infringe on that patent. And so next week I'll have a story about all that because there's some shit brewing right now. Anyway, I've never had a strong opinion on leashes. If you ask me my favorite leash brand, I, I would just kind of look at you. <laughs> Same with board bags. And the DB is great, actually. And I actually got one from Mystic recently that it actually it has a – I'm going to do a review on it. But you know like the camping beds that air, like you, there's a valve? They incorporated yep. that into a board bag. It's actually it's quite nice. It's different. It's new. Wow. And it's it's really good. And then DB makes great stuff as well. So I guess I do have an opinion on board bags. But look, I appreciate the people giving us the information on leashes. But like, kind of fuck you if you have an opinion on a favorite leash maker. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, one of my uh, probably my favorite comment from the week. This does not reflect the way that Stab feels about any uh, person or brand. But um, apparently there is a quote from Benji Weatherly that said they're called on a mission because after the leash breaks, you have to go on a mission to find your board. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like that's why especially, okay, FCS won. Let's, we'll, talk, we'll cover it a little bit. FCS won it. They got 26.75% of the vote. Creatures was just behind them at 24.03. But I feel like leashes are a thing where if you have one bad experience, if it just breaks, maybe it's entirely your fault. You went on a bad wave and there's five more behind it. You'll be like, no, fuck that leash. Like, I'm mad at you. So <laughs> I just almost don't trust that data. I don't, but that said, FCS went so hard at the freedom leash that... FCS went so hard at the Freedom Leash that I don't think that's a coincidence. Like, I think not many people were talking about leashes, and then FCS talked about it a lot. They did a big campaign on it, so not a surprise there. Now, ooh, speaking Fins. of FCS, Fins, the big one. Futures at, and there's other options here, so don't think it's a 50-50 split. Futures, 46.92, FCS, 37.76. These were essentially neck and neck every other year we've done this survey. They're right up there because you have other options. Like a lot of people said Captain Finn. 
Shout out to the people who said Trains, which I think was under 5%, but fuck, your core. I get it. Um, this was the biggest jump we've seen futures make. This is significant. Well, I mean, earlier we talked about Sex Wax and Sticky Bumps. They were a bit of a duopoly for a while, but the true duopoly in the surf industry is futures and FCS. Like, it is... They've just been around. They, they were started in pretty much the same year, which is super interesting. And they now have the two, you know, systems that are most used by other brands. Again, Buck's going to get into some interesting stories on that on the legal side soon. But yeah, um, futures, 47%. They've pulled ahead by a decent margin. Any sense of why this might be? Again, this is the public perception, really, we're talking about. This doesn't necessarily correlate with sales. It's hard to say. So... We already did the surfboard survey one on this, and Firewire was not up there. But Firewire did make a decision to go exclusively with futures from now on, in the future, if you will. Nice. Mm. Um, And so you can't say, hey, we had a big audience of Firewire surfers that were like, that swayed them, you know? But that is a very, those people make a lot of surfboards, and they're big. They might be the biggest surfboard. Ah, well, then you get in the weird soft off round, but they're a fucking massive surfboard company is my point. And so I think even if you don't ride Firewires, if you saw that, if you're made aware of it, that's something. And then there's been, I have the sense that on the pro level, there's been more of a a push towards futures in the in the last few years. I think you're seeing it more and more on the CT, but at the same time, it's not like that story has been like, communicated well it's not like nobody's really telling that because it's just uh it's all kind of anecdotal and observational so yeah i for me i i like futures more i'm a futures man myself um even though it almost cost you your eye yeah well it cost me my right vision but i uh and i got a new pair of geordie fins actually recently so i'm i'm ready for the other one to go that'll be real fun well to to me, it's just one brand is selling convenience, one brand is selling reliability, and it all comes down to the system, right? FCS2, most people don't use screws with it. You can if you want to, but the idea is that you can just pop fins straight in and be ready to surf, and you can also pop them straight out. It's really, honestly, like once you figure out how to do it, well, at first it's a little janky, you might hurt your hand, but once you figure it out, it is seriously so easy to take fins in and out. It makes traveling a breeze. It's great for that. On the other hand, futures, yeah, you have a screw there, but you also know that you're not going to have a mishap where your fin just magically pops out, whether on a wave or a wipeout or whatever. So I guess right now the market is favoring reliability over convenience, but that could also change as soon as, change as, soon as next year. I'm not buying the convenience argument. I mean, surfing is not easy. You have to – most people don't live right there. You have to get I'm there. I'm sorry. Didn't you and Sam McIntosh have an actual competition with changing fins? Yeah, I I'm, thought I could I'm get them. I'm thinking like 2017, 2018 maybe. Yeah, it was on the Gold Coast, and uh, we were having some beers, and I was saying that I am a futures man. Like I've said, I've been a futures man for quite some time, and he was an FCS2 guy. You know, he's streamlined. He's got it. And I'm like, I bet. And he's like, well, you just pop it out right away. And I'm like, no, you can't. Just what you just proved wrong. I'm like, I'm like, you have to just get a shirt every time, and it's weird they make a tool somebody made a tool to just get it out that's stupid and they have the screw holes that was my whole thing and i was like (laughs) so eventually i challenged him i was like i bet i can get a futures three fins out just as quickly as you can with your fcs little i know that he was serious about his fcsery and so he was able to get these things out he knew exactly how to um 
get the G spot there. And um, wow, I was impressed. He was, he really, he fucked me up. I think I had one thin out by the time he got the three out. Leaked Clay Marzo's no fucks given desert point snapped five session. Somebody dropping in, burning, whatever you want to use. Somebody at a wave as long as deserts, especially a wave that like sometimes takes a while to do its thing, is fucking hilarious. It's just, it gives you, as a viewer, this interaction that you just don't get. Like, burning often happens so quickly and it just ends so quickly. You have these almost like conversation. The, the first clip in this thing, it's almost like a conversation on a wave or like it's just. It's it's a drama, it's a theatrical act, and so that is the no fucks given part of this headline, um, and the rest of it is just Clay Miser at Desert Point. He went there, he got a very good swell, and he is insanely, he's just, I don't think we have seen people ride waves like him. Well, that is certainly one aspect of it, and, and if you're going to burn someone, you better surf the wave better than them, right? Like, if you burn someone and then just butcher the wave that's a really bad look unless you're like a diehard local at a spot which clay is not at desert point but the way that he surfs these waves i think justifies just about anything and this all came about from logan Dulian. he is the man um, behind the snapped franchise i'm sure you know it and he posted something on instagram recently about how clay just had this ruthless session at Desert Point, where the implication was that Clay was actually doing more of the burning. This clip opens with a clip of Clay getting burned to sort of set the scene, and seemingly after that, he decided to just go middle fingers to the sky and just start burning people. I think you only see him burn one person in this clip, but Logan assures me <laughs> that there were a lot more. He just but didn't to be really fair, want that, to make it look that bad. That first clip is the sun's kind of going down, so that's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> that might have been a bit of comeuppance for Clay. But yeah. he still won. He still got the wave. The, the other clips aren't backlit. So. <laughs> well, because that's what, The guy had 15... Before the wave even started really barreling, the guy had 15, sec- 15 seconds to figure out whether or not he was going to... How he was going to play it. And he was like, uh, eventually it hit him. He's like, nah, it's, it's Clay Marzo. And he is going to do things to this wave that I just can't. Um, yeah. I heard stories just from the Quicksilver Festival that I think Paul Evans is a better, like I trust his judgment of character more than my own. Um, And he said Clay won just in terms of his general existence there. And so I guess I got to go team Clay here. It's always weird. The burning thing always gets hard to take aside. But um, I do, to be fair, I'm not just going to go all in on Clay. Like, I'm kind of at the point with like the the clayback thing. I guess it's one of the things you you, you could kind of call it. A, I I'm against generally against names. I think the club sandwich is the worst of that. But naming a trick, that's kind of weird. I don't really love his laybacks anymore. I just feel like I've seen them a lot, and it's like, yeah, they're unique. But like, so is Zoltan's kickflip. Seeing him in a tube is just fucked up good surfing. Like I'm, I'm yep. kind of done with the laybacks, but seeing him in the tube is just crazy. Nobody can do it like that. Absolutely, you're not seeing anything like it. One of the things that Logan said is, and I quote, "It actually reminded me of that special day Andy Irons had at the box during the making of Raw Irons. Love it or not, Andy was pretty ruthless and put on a fucking clinic. Clay did the same exact thing, and it's true. And 
what's also crazy is that in this title is a bit of an Easter egg. Um, Snapped Five is happening. And this is the first time that we're like actually hearing this in a very official sense. And Logan was really clear. He's like, yeah, we're doing Snap 5. This was Clay was there filming for Snap 5, which means that these clips were the ones that didn't quite make the cut, which is insane when you actually watch the surfing in them. It just makes you wonder what you're going to be seeing in the actual film, especially because all these shots were land shots. And if you get some water angles of what Clay's doing, because you can kind of tell from the land shot that he's not just sitting in the barrel. He's, like, doing his thing where he's somehow, like, leaning, like, doing a layback, a frontside layback in the barrel, which still makes no sense to my brain. That's the real Clay. That's that's probably the real Clayback at this point, right? I, I guess so, and that's the crazy, like you said, Logan said they probably only saved three or four of his best clips, and what he must be doing on those things, like, layback, do whatever the hell you want, but, like, his read on waves is almost the most fascinating thing to me. Like he just sometimes finds himself in parts of the wave, like where, you know, has, especially it looks like this swell or maybe just certain tides. There's just different sections and sometimes it's chandeliers and the way he like negotiates that. And then he's somehow like in front of the wave a little bit. Like it's like, there's a breaking lip just in front of him. Then he's like back up and saws. It's just like, it's so wild the way that he's reading those waves so Kelly said it in one of the young guns I think the first one that Clay was on I forget exactly what number it might have been young guns too Kelly said that Clay who was 15 at the time he he knows things that I don't about surfing which I, I think watching him surf I, you can just like appreciate that like you can see that he sees things that other people are not seeing and I don't even know what they are because I, I don't know what they are you know what I mean like it's it's truly mind-blowing <laughs> All right. What else, Buck? This was a huge week, actually. Um, There's a great piece on the site, which was hated on Instagram, called the 15 Best Surf Fashions Ranked. It is by Paul Evans, um, which means that the list is highly questionable. But it was a really enjoyable read. He broke down some things in ways that only Paul can. Uh, There's also a piece called How to Become the Surf Industry's Next Hot Cinematographer. We talked to five up-and-coming filmers who are sort of making it happen. And, yeah, it's a really interesting read. Uh, We also found out that Banks Journal, um, the brand that was born out of Australia and Japan, it was kind of like a higher-end surf fashion brand. They made incredible board shorts. They actually won Best Board Shorts in 2021 for Stab. Um, they went out of business in the U.S. this week. That was their sort of main business. They still have um, an operation going on in Japan, but like Banks Journal, as we know it, sort of run by Rama McCabe, that is no longer. I actually chatted with Rama earlier this week, and I'm going to try to get out a piece with him next week as well. But the really big thing that's going on right now that we've touched on, but not super in depth, is that Chopo, the town of Chopo, is sort of fighting back against the Olympics, specifically about the building of the competition structure that gets built on the reef. They have come out strongly against it. You've probably seen a video about Matahi Drole, or not about, but by Matahi Drole on Instagram that's calling them out and why they don't want it to happen. What's crazy on that front is that, I mean, we we talked about that mayor in Iceland last week, and so, like, this guy figured out that the servers were on to him, and he was like, oh, maybe, like, he just looked around on the planet, and he's like, this place looks real desolate, like, maybe I could do something crazy here, so he's actually responsible for it. That makes sense because of the, the concrete. You said he lived in a concrete house, they're building a concrete scaffolding now. Yeah, yeah, so it's that guy. This he, is all coming now, together. Now he's like, these fucking surfers are going to get me again. <laughs> Oh, man, poor guy. Okay, well, anyway, we've been going kind of in depth on this one. We've talked to a reef scientist, and we've talked to the person 
that really was leading the charge in this whole kind of like don't bring all this infrastructure to our town thing, which it turns out it wasn't Matahi. It was a guy named Lorenzo, and we're going to meet him um, a little bit more next week. He's got a really interesting story that we're going to get up on the site. Also coming next week, I know we talked about it last week with the Italo thing. Um, we still have more board riders news to come. It didn't quite formulate this week, but I think by next week we'll be able to get it together. Buck mentioned a patent laws piece that's coming out on surf accessories. That's going to be super interesting. We also have a stab edit of the year coming with perhaps the most barreled man of the year. We'll let you decide when you watch it. And another episode of SURF. It's the U. It's undersized. Danny Johnson made it. You're going to need to watch it. It's also free, so no excuses. It's been a massive week. Paul's thing made me laugh really hard, as it always does. Um, I told him, too. I was like, I, I wish there was an item that I could yell at you for not including, and it was all up it was pretty expansive he, he kind of got it all done so that was cool the bank scene is cool i mean the, the like you said we got a lot of good stuff coming too but um the piece about how to be a surf filmer or the industry's next hot cinematographer surf filmer that's way better way better industry's next hot cinematographer yeah i said surf filmer that's that's way cooler um one of my favorite things on that front is because i feel like if you're on the outside of something, if you want to be somewhere, then you might underestimate the the value of just chance or good luck. And so my favorite story, I think, in here is just from Connor Hookway. Because to be honest, a lot of surf hot, what do we call them? Hot cinematographers? Yeah, that. Um, <laughs> they, a lot of people just kind of, are around surfing and their friends are surfing and they're just in like, you know, a lot of times somebody that they've already been friends with, they've already been filming and gets big and it works. But Connor was this kid from Tasmania who was, had moved to Brisbane and was just mowing lawns. You'd have to wake up at like 4am, just mow lawns in Brisbane. And he randomly DM'd, which imagine fucking Alana Blanchard's DMs. It would be a it would just be so there'd just be so much desperation and weird people from all corners of the world trying to talk to her even though she's just a family woman with some great children right now and a great husband um so he just wades in the dms there saying hey i i want a surf film i've been doing this and next thing you know he's in tavaru with them filming and so i guess i would just like to call that out specifically as a story that shows that like hey take your shot like if you it's if you didn't grow up around somebody if, if you want to be working in the surf industry which uh as as we often lay out here it's uh probably the most uh, wealthy industry in the world right now everybody's making like a fuckload of money <laughs> but no if you do want to just get involved in this like it, it's so cool to hear these stories of people just kind of on the outside, taking a shot, getting in, and then it working really well. Like that's that's one of the coolest things, and I think that I always want to call it out as an example for people that might want to get in and think that like you need to already have an in or something. Like it's it's just cool that somebody could be mowing lawns in Brisbane and then the next minute they're in Fiji and they're a surf film. Uh, no, hot cinematographer. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. And to our more vigilant listeners who are wondering where the surf sin is, um, 
I'm just going to turn that question back around on you guys. Where are the surf sins? You know, we've gotten some submissions, but to be honest, they've been pretty weak. So we know you've been doing bad things, and we want to hear about them. So give them a drop to michael at stabmag.com or buck at stabmag.com. Keep them 60 seconds or less, filmed vertically on your iPhone. And if you get selected to air on this podcast, you will win a free year of Stab Premium and maybe a Fringe Bar, TBD. But anyway, it's been a great week in surfing. There's another great one to come and hopefully a lot more thereafter. So until next week, over and out.